Uh, many of us know that Matt Redman is a well-known author of praise and worship songs. And some of the songs that uh, we sing that we perhaps enjoy the most were authored by Matt Redman. He said that early in his uh, career as a musician and songwriter, he was singing with his church's praise band. Uh, Afterwards, the pastor came and he confronted them. He said that they were proud of their musical performance and they were neglecting true worship. Well, uh, they felt insulted. And so, they all quit the church, except for Matt Redmond. He took to heart what his pastor had said to him. And as a result of reflecting on what true worship is, he wrote, I think, one of the most special praise songs about worship that we sing. He wrote that wonderful song, The Heart of Worship. And you know that one of the phrases in that song is, I'm coming back to the heart of worship. And it's all about you, Jesus. It's all about you. And as I've reflected upon this particular song, I've come to realize that what Matt Redman is really doing in the song is he is teaching us what worship is about. That's what he's doing. And so we can ask this very simple question. What is the heart of worship? Now Sunday or Thursday evening we had a wonderful music open house and I want to thank all of you that came. I just thought it was a very, very special time. And uh, Julie asked me, uh, uh, along with um, um, our director of uh, youth and discipleship, Chris Mauser, if I would share a devotional a couple of times on the issue of worship. And so uh, I did, and, and a couple of people said, you know, you should work that into a 45-minute sermon. Um, and uh, they were teasing, of course. Uh, <laughs> maybe they weren't. <laughs> but I thought this morning, in light of the fact that we have seven wonderful children in the second service that are going to be dedicated to the Lord, that if there was a Sunday, perhaps, when it might be helpful to have a shorter message, that might be today. But this is, uh, while it's a shorter message, it is a very, very important message. And so I want us to talk this morning from God's Word about the heart of worship. And I want to take us to a passage uh, in the Gospel of John, chapter 4, where I think Jesus defines what the heart of worship is, perhaps as well as anywhere in the Bible. And you know the story. He meets the woman at the well. She tries to debate with him about where the true place to worship is, whether it's in Samaria on Mount Gerizim or it's in Jerusalem on Mount Zion. And Jesus cuts through all of that. And in John four twenty three and 24, listen to what he has to say. If you'd like to follow along in the Bible in your chair, it's page 10. 56, and look what he says. But the hour is coming and is now here 
When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. Let's pray for just a moment. Lord, thank you today that you have not left us without a clear word as to what it means to truly worship you. And Lord, each and every week as we gather and in our private lives, you are seeking something from us. And what you are seeking is our worship. And Lord, we know we can do many things and think that we're worshiping, and yet neglect what true worship really is. And so I pray that you would help us to understand from the words of our Savior what it means to be a true worshiper of the Father in heaven. And we'll thank you and praise you. Jesus' name, amen. I want you to notice that Jesus makes it very clear to us that when it comes to true worship, worship is God-focused. He tells us that the Father is seeking people to worship Him. So what this tells us is that God is the object of our worship. He is the audience. We are the givers, and He receives. As I've thought about this in my own life, I never call worship an experience. Sometimes you will hear people refer to worship as an experience, but but I've decided not to use that phrase because... Experience is is often something that others do for you. So you go to a movie and you experience uh, what the actors on the screen are doing. Uh, You go to a concert and as the musicians are playing, you experience the concert. You go to an exporting event as a spectator, you experience what the athletes are doing. But worship is never an experience in that way. Worship is something that we do. It is not something that we experience that others do for us. Uh, This week I I read a a little article on worship from uh, a pastor by the name of Mark Roberts. And he had something very helpful to say. He said, worship is not something we observe. It is something we do. True worship occurs when we communicate with God, when we offer our praise, our love, and our very lives to Him. And apparently, that's what this pastor of Matt Redmond perceived. He perceived that the praise band that particular day was focused on performing. They were not focused on God. I think of what we've seen just recently in the book of James. James says, draw near to God and he will what? Yeah, he will draw near to you. That's what worship is when we focus on God. 
Now, there are at least three different ways that we do this. One is, we worship privately when we express to God what we think of Him. I have a little prayer guide that I use that helps me in my times of prayer with the Lord. And the prayer guide begins with adoration, and it will list verses, and then after I've read the verses, it will say, now add your own thoughts of praise and worship. Uh, This past Thursday, as I was preparing for the music open house, uh, this was the passage that I was directed to, to add my thoughts of praise and worship in my private time with the Lord. Uh, join me and let's just read together Hebrews 1.3. Would you join me? The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful word, After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Now, isn't that a fruitful verse for having a private time of praise and worship before God? Lord Jesus, thank you that you are so pure that you are the very radiance of the glory of God. And Lord Jesus, thank you that you are the exact representation of God's being. So that when I am learning of you, I am learning everything that there has been revealed about the living God. You are exactly the representation of who He is. And then Lord Jesus, I praise you. Because you sustain all things by your powerful word. My very breath that I am taking right now as my lungs go in and out comes because of your sustaining power. And then I think of the sin perhaps that I committed yesterday. And Lord Jesus, as a child of God, you have already provided purification for that sin. Next week I will uh, no doubt commit another sin. You have already cleansed it by what you have done for me on the cross so that my fellowship can be restored when I confess that sin to you. And Lord, today you are ruling. You are reigning at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. You are the sovereign one who is in control of all things. Wouldn't this be a great thing to express to the Lord on Wednesday morning after the election, right? See, what a fruitful grounds is the Word of God just for expressing in private our praise and worship of the Lord. Now, a second way we worship is when we gather together publicly. And we do together publicly what we do privately. Can you imagine if we just worship God in the privacy of our own homes and the four walls where we live? No one would ever hear it. Uh, No one would ever hear the greatness of our God proclaimed in public worship. But God is such a great God that He is deserving of public worship. When I was a boy, I I learned Psalm 107, verse 2 in the King James Bible. It says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. 
That's public worship. By the way, I wondered what uh, the English Standard Version says in Psalm 107, verse 2. So I looked it up. Guess what it says? Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. God wants us to gather in public to give Him praise and worship for who He is and what He has done. Now, a third way that we worship the Lord is in how we live. It's in our lifestyle. Uh, I want you to look with me at a verse that I've never seen in the context of worship before, but it suddenly gained new meaning to me as I thought about what worship truly is. Uh, Join me in reading Colossians 1 verse 10. Notice what it says. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Now you may know that the word worship means to ascribe worth to God. You see the word worthy in Colossians 1.10? It is a word that means to show God's worth. So what an interesting concept this is. By our lifestyle, by the way that we live, this verse is saying. By how we walk, by how we please the Lord, by how we bear fruit, by the good works we do, all of those show forth the worthiness of the Lord. Look at this. We worship by our daily lifestyle. Think about what this means. When I'm tempted to be dishonest, and I choose to be honest instead... I'm worshiping God. When I'm tempted to be selfish with my wife, which I am tempted on many, many occasions and often fail in that, but on those occasions when I choose to be unselfish towards her, I am worshiping God. In fact, one of the great priorities in worship is for us to endeavor to make how we live match up with what we say. That's one of the greatest priorities in worship. That how I worship the Lord with my lips in private and how I worship the Lord as I come together on Sunday with the people of God, that that would match up with how I worship during the week as I live my life for the Lord. In fact, we all know what we call it, don't we? We all know the word that is used to describe when our life does not match our lips. What do we call that? We call that hypocrisy. Jesus, in speaking very strongly to the hypocrites of His day, said about them, This people honors Me with their lips, but their hearts are far from Me. And so it is very, very clear that worship is God-focused. Let's look at the second thing about worship. Secondly, in the heart of worship, Jesus tells us that worship is Scripture-based. It is Scripture-based. 
Jesus says we must worship in truth. Now what this tells me is that scripture reading and teaching must be a large part of worship. Uh, This morning I'm going to mention a pet peeve that Pastor Hank has, and it's a pet peeve that I share with him. So even if he didn't have this pet peeve, I would as well. But here's the pet peeve. When we separate instruction from worship. Sometimes you will hear that. You will hear people say, well, we're going to worship, and then we're going to have a message from God's Word. As though somehow the two were separate. But did you notice Jesus clearly did not do that? He said, we worship in truth. So instruction about God is worship. We cannot worship a God we do not know. So worship includes being taught the truth about Him. In fact, uh, let me just mention this to you. Some will suggest that the message from God's Word is, is actually the pinnacle of worship. That we have been spending time speaking to God in worship, and now when we get to the message that we now are quiet and we listen to God as He speaks to us through His Word. And some would suggest that that is the pinnacle of worship. By the way, can't you hear echoes of the Father on the Mount of Transfiguration? Jesus is glorified before three of His disciples, and Peter begins to speak, and all of a sudden, out of the cloud comes a great voice that says to Peter and everyone else, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased Listen to Him. Listen to Him. And nothing, nothing could be greater in worship than listening to the voice of the Son of God as His message is declared. You know, this is so important that it guided the early church in how they chose their music. We don't have a lot of scripture references on the music of the early church, but the one that we have, Colossians 3.16, which is repeated in the book of Ephesians, is very, very helpful as to the kind of music we ought to have in our worship services. Read this with me for just a moment. Let's let's read Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, as in all wisdom you teach and admonish one another, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your heart to God. Now, you know what I used to do with this verse? I used to apply this to myself as an individual, and I'd say, okay, I'm to allow the word of Christ to dwell in me individually. But do you know this is a plural? Let the word of Christ dwell in you is describing when we gather as a congregation in public worship. The idea is, let the word of Christ dwell among you. 
And notice, even in our music, the emphasis is upon what is being taught. Now, I want you to notice three types of music the early church had, and we ought to have. Number one, they had Scripture songs. Psalms here is a reference to Scripture, just simply put to music. And the ancient believers, they would sing the Psalms, and Psalms are often sung in many churches today. I know some people that will say their favorite music they ever sing are songs of Scripture just put to music. And that's one of the kinds of songs we ought to have. Second kind of music they had was hymns. Hymns were uh, songs about Christ, He was the focus, that largely give us doctrinal truth about Him. And so we ought to have hymns that give us rich doctrine about the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, some time ago I picked up my hymnal, and I decided just to go through the hymnal as sort of an exercise in private worship and in praise of the Lord. And you know what I discovered? No matter where you go in the hymnal, sooner or later, the authors of these hymns get to Christ. So if you're singing about the Father, or you're singing about the Holy Spirit, or you're singing about the church, or you're singing about the heavens. Ultimately, in at least one verse, it seems like always, almost always, the writer gets to Christ. Here's one of the greatest hymns about the Father, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And yet what happens when you get to verse 2? Dost ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is He, the Lord of hosts, His name, from age to age the same, and He must win the battle. See, that's what hymns are all about. They're all about doctrinal truth, about the center of our faith, who is the Lord Jesus Christ. A few years ago, um, Pastor Hank and I had a very eye-opening experience. We were at the pastor's conference. And we heard from the Dean of Education at Moody Bible Institute. He said that students coming in to Moody Bible Institute today have less Bible knowledge and less understanding of Christian doctrine than students 25 years ago. And we were sitting there thinking, wow, what can we do to address that at Bethel? We talked about it all the way home, and uh, I decided to write to the Dean of Education. What should we do about this in our churches? You know what one of the things he said? He said, don't get rid of the hymns. He said, most people learn their doctrine through the hymns they sing. And he said, if you want to emphasize the truth about who Christ is and what He's done, do not get rid of the Him. We took that to heart. Of course, Bethel takes that to heart. I began to ask myself, what is it about 
the hymns that help us learn doctrine about Christ. It's interesting how the Lord works. Uh, I just started reading a, a new biography about a well-known pastor from the 18th century by the name of J.C. Ryle. J.C. Ryle published seven volumes on the Gospels. He published a book on holiness that is still a classic today. And in his early ministry, he published books of hymns. And listen to what J.C. Ryle said. I strongly hold that holy thoughts often abide forever in men's memories under the form of poetry which pass away and are forgotten under the form of prose. That's it. Why do we remember the songs we sing that impress on us doctrinal truth about Christ? Because they're in the form of poetry. And the mind remembers poetry often when prose is forgotten. And so we are to have hymns. Thirdly, notice the early church had, let's say it together, spiritual song. Spiritual song. Now, these are songs of one's personal relationship with Christ and walk with God. Where hymns are about Christ and God and the Holy Spirit, spiritual songs are often to the members of the triune God. These are songs that are more personal. They are more experiential. They are more reflective of our daily relationship with the Lord. And as I thought about that, I thought, isn't that what some of the best contemporary Christian music is? It is a spiritual song that is more personal as it sings to God rather than just about God. So these are the three types of songs that we ought to have in our public worship. And by the way, I think under our music director and all of our worship teams, I think we do a great job of including all three of these. And if you think the same way, Express that to Julie. Express your appreciation. Did you notice here two very important things? Regardless of the songs in these three categories, there are two very important things about Christian music. Number one, the message must be clear. The message must be clear. Look at this. Even in our music, we are teaching. We are teaching. Therefore, it's all about the message. Psalms, hymns, and what kind of songs? Spiritual songs. Therefore, the message must be clear. Now, here's the second thing. It must teach truth about God. It must teach truth about God. Look at that last phrase. We are to sing with gratitude in our hearts to God. Well, how can you sing with gratitude to God unless the song teaches us something about God? So what that says to us is music that is all about us and little about God 
That's unhealthy music. I love the hymns, I grew up with them, but I have to be very honest and say there are some hymns I'm glad have been relegated to the dustbin of history. Because they had very little in them about God. And we know that some of our uh, more contemporary music, when you sing it, it is more about us, and there's very little in it about God. And it's clear that it has to teach us about God. There's a cartoon on church music that I found some time ago. It's written by, uh, created by an Australian man by the name of Pete, uh, not Pete, Matt Glover. I think it's Pete's Australian cousin. And I shared this with you once before. In fact, most of what I've shared today, I, I've, I look back at a number of my sermons, and I've preached about four times over the last number of years on what worship really is. And so I pulled some of that together. But this particular cartoon was um, copyrighted, and so um, I emailed Matt Glover down in Australia to ask if I could have permission to use this cartoon that he created. And he wrote me back and said, yes, as long as you just give me credit. So I'm giving him credit. By the way, he asked me, how are things in your neck of the world? And I, <laughs> I wanted to write back and say, if you only knew. Uh, but I want you to notice this. It's funny, and some of you have seen this. But it's sad at the same time. Here it is. I love the music at your church. Who's this Jesus guy they sing about? No idea. But we've sung about him for years. I'm afraid for many people. That is not funny. In fact, uh, let me give to you a conversation I had some time ago. It's one of those conversations you never forget, and it's sort of a, 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 of a uh, demarcation in your life. And you say, I need to learn from this. A former neighbor one day called me over to her home when she saw me on the street. This is here in Marquette. She said, do you do any teaching in your services? I thought, what an odd question. I said, yes, we do a lot of teaching. You know what she said? There's very little teaching in our church. In fact, she said, the attitude in our church is, isn't the gospel wonderful? But she said, what is the gospel? It's never defined. She said, I grew up in a church like that. And I want more for my kids. And that's a conversation you never forget. Worship according to Jesus is Scripture-based. Now one final thing. Finally, number three. Worship is heart obedient. Heart obedient. Jesus said we must worship in spirit. We must worship in spirit. Since God is spiritual, worship is spiritual. It is a matter of the heart. 
you know that the woman at the well wanted to draw Jesus into a debate about where's the place that you are supposed to worship. And Jesus made it very clear. It is not about places, forms, styles, and outward acts. Those things assist us in worship, but they are not the essence of worship. Now, I just want to say I'm grateful today for all the things that we have to assist us in worship. I'm very grateful. And I think as a church, within reason, we should use all of the things that God has provided. And by the way, this is something that I always remind myself of. If something is assisting a person next to me in worship, but it's not assisting me, then I should not get too angry about that. But first of all, I don't want to be angry in worship service. It seems to me to be the opposite of what worship is about. And so if a particular song or maybe a particular instrument isn't necessarily assisting me, but assisting somebody else, I want to be very careful about getting angry over that. I'm talking about within reason. By the way, I'm very grateful for the drummers that we have. They know how to make the drums fit in rather than take over. And a church is blessed when you have those kind of drummers. So I'm thankful for them. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is telling us something. Worship is learning about God with my mind. It is rejoicing in God with my emotions. And it is obeying God with my will. If you don't get anything else today, get that. Worship is about learning, with, learning about God with my mind. Rejoicing in God with my emotions and obeying God with my will. It is heart obedient. One of the most favorite verses that I have on worship are these verses from 1 Samuel 15. You may remember the context. King Saul disobeyed God in the eyes of all Israel and then began to make excuses. When Samuel the prophet came and confronted Saul, Saul said, Oh, it's okay that I disobeyed in the eyes of all Israel because my plan was I was going to offer sacrifices in worship to God. So it's okay what I did. And this is what God said. Let's read it together. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. After being rebuked by his pastor, Matt Redman sought to capture the essence of the truth of these verses on worship. In fact, 
Look at what he said and what we often sing. I'll bring you more than a song, for song itself is not what you have required. You search much deeper within through the way things appear. You're looking into my heart. What is the heart of worship? It's the worship of the heart, isn't it? The heart of worship is the worship of the heart. And that's what God is seeking. Let's bow together, shall we? And let's thank the Lord for His guidance and His Word. Father, today we counted a great privilege to be worshipers of the living God. We counted an honor and an inestimable gift from you that we can declare the worth of the one who is worthy of all praise, honor, glory, strength, and power. And Lord, we know that so many times the church gets off kilter here. That so much of the time, Father, we allow things that we think are worship but are only the appearance of worship to become the priorities and to keep us from truly worshiping the God we love and adore. We pray, Father, that you would keep us from appearances particularly. It's very easy for us to appear to be worshipers. But as Jesus said, how easily we can become hypocrites in our worship. And we pray that we would long to express to you what we think about you in our private times of prayer and Bible reading that we would not neglect the assembling of ourselves together because the redeemed of the Lord must say so. And we pray that we would, above all, not forget that every day in the manner of how we walk, we are living in a way that ascribes worth to you or not. Help us, Lord, to keep short accounts with You. Help us to make sure that we are right with one another. Help us to allow the Spirit of God to 
be our teacher and our leader. So that more and more, we are true and authentic worshipers. Thank you, Father, for a man who was not too proud to be rebuked. And instead of rejecting that rebuke, thought seriously about what it meant. And then has called all of us back to true worship. We do love you, Lord, today. Proclaim your worth and your glory and your honor. We go forth from this place to represent you. For Jesus' sake we ask.